0: This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week, we'll be speaking with Crystal Penn of Grooby. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce the launch of our new website, Adult Site Broker 3.0, at adultsitebroker.com. The look and feel of the new site is nice and up to date and easier to navigate. The new site also has links to our affiliate program, ASB Cash, and our new blog. Speaking of ASB Cash, we've doubled our affiliate payouts. That's right. Now, when you refer sellers or buyers to us at Adult Site Broker, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. You can either place a link to us on your site or refer buyers and sellers through an email introduction. ASB Cash is the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale a growing sex doll site. Started in 2016, it's grown to over 2 million in annual revenue. The owner has focused and invested heavily into SEO for the site, making sure it consistently ranks at the top in the search engines for the main industry keywords. As a result, most of the traffic and sales are organic, coming from people who have searched for sex dolls on Google. Other strong sales channels are the 25,000-plus person email list and an affiliate program. The owner has developed relationships with the best manufacturers. The products are drop-shipped directly from the manufacturer to the customer. The store has hundreds of five-star reviews on the website and on third-party sites. The store currently has no employees, aside from the owner, who works 10 to 15 hours a week on the business. SEO is handled by an agency. This is a business that can be grown by a company with experience in the novelties field. Only $2.72 million. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Crystal Penn of Grubby. Crystal, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk.
1: Thank you for having me, even though it took me very long to get back to you. So thank you for being okay. so gracious.
0: <laughs> hey, if, if I'm anything, I'm persistent. <laughs> Crystal received her Bachelor of Arts degree from George Washington University and holds a marketing certificate from Santa Monica College. She's currently enrolled at California Southern University in their Master's in Psychology program and is a marriage and family therapist trainee at the LGBTQ Center in Orange County. As the creative and editorial director at Groovy, Penn uses her unique reach to foster community among performers. With over 12 years of experience in the adult industry, she's worked diligently to promote visibility and empowerment through sex positivity. She also serves as the executive producer of the Trans Erotico Awards, also known as the TEAs, an event that exclusively honors the accomplishments of the trans adult industry. Penn won the 2021 XBiz Industry Exec Community Figure of the Year Award. And the 2017 Xbiz Industry Exec Brand Ambassador of the Year Award. She's presented numerous educational workshops and panels in both the adult and non-adult industries. For more information, you can visit crystalpen.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-L-P-E-N-N.com, or follow her on Twitter at the Crystal Pen. Spell the same way. How was that for your commercial?
1: That made me sound way cooler than I am. So thank you. I'm going to definitely use that later somewhere.
0: <laughs> you may. Now, Grooby is a leading producer of Transerotica since 1996, founded by Stephen Gruby. This powerhouse production company manages numerous membership sites and produces at least four DVDs a month. The company also hosts the annual TEAs, which started as a humble online competition and has since expanded into a successful two-day event in Hollywood, welcoming guests from all around the world. Visit groovy.com and theteashow.com for more information. Crystal, what do you have planned for the 2023 TEAs?
1: So 2023 is cool because one, it is the second year we, we'll we will be doing it in person since the pandemic. Nice. two, it's actually our 15 year anniversary. Oh, and so, very good. Yeah. So we want to do it up as big as possible. As you mentioned, we started out as a very, very humble online competition. And then we, mm-hmm. we used to play, um, we used to have the event at like, shitty little nightclubs in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so in our current form at the Avalon, it's, it's definitely the biggest venue that we've that we've been, that been at and we want to keep growing there. And so um, I'm working on some special entertainment for the evening for guests who, who do attend.
0: Sounds good. Any uh, announcements you want to make?
1: None that, well, I guess it depends on when this episode comes out. Uh, Maybe the safest thing that I can say is that we are going to make the official announcement for pre-nominations on November 1st, and that pre-nomination period is going to run from then till November 13th.
0: Sounds good. Well, this is going to certainly run after November 1st, but you and I are going to get together on when the best time is to run it. Perfect. So, So for those who don't know about the event, can you tell us more about the event and its history?
1: Yeah, so like I mentioned, it started as an online competition, and mostly it was because we were frustrated, particularly Stephen, with the lack of trans-specific categories at the major award shows. And so we thought, sure. "Well, fuck it, we will just make our own," you know. Yeah. And I think at the time it was this well-intentioned um, competition, but we didn't really think that far ahead. We sure. didn't really anticipate the type of traction that we were going to receive from it. And I think the positive um, feedback and obviously the 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 show has changed multiple times since its first incarnation back mm-hmm. 10, 15, ten fifteen years ago, essentially. So mm-hmm. I'm very proud of the way that it's sort of grown and taken its own shape. I think it's been a very organic growth. How has it changed over the years? Well, the one thing that people will always say is that the name has changed. And so, like I said, when the the competition was made uh, the name was different and it was using mm. language that was not super affirming and mm. you know 15 years ago the landscape at least in terms of 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 language in pornography was a little bit different sure and you know since then i mean that's been the biggest thing that we've changed and something that we're very proud to have changed and i think um in addition to that the fact that we've moved to an in-person event and not just an in-person event mm-hmm. at like a small club but to to really host it at somewhere as historic as the Avalon and
0: right. then
1: to have it be you know a two-day event in which you know, because like it, for for trans performers this is the only event that honors them specifically And, you know, I think other award shows have made great strides to be more inclusive. And I think that's wonderful. They have different and larger platforms than us. But, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the one time of the year where the trans adult industry is right at the forefront in terms of celebrating, which I think is absolutely important. So um, I think to see the event be in this form where it's Mm -hmm. taken such a great, I think, grand stage, I, I, I think is wonderful.
0: Talk a little bit about trans porn and how it's evolved since that show had its first incarnation?
1: I definitely see more performers. I definitely have seen more diversity. And I think part of it is because You know, the stuff that we talk about in porn, that the issues that come up in porn, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. So there's often a parallel, right? Between the things that we're discussing in porn, in our industry, and what's happening kind of like in mainstream society. And a large part of it has to do with sort of LGBTQ inclusivity. Mm -hmm. You know, and especially like I think awareness about trans identity and like trans community. And so we've seen a shift in the last 15 years where I think you know, trans porn was a very small niche
0: and, you know, something
1: that I remember encountering like in the industry was like, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stigma, you know? And I think that that has started to shift in terms of conversation, whether it's sort of like business to business or, Mm -hmm. you know, within performer community, I I definitely see much more openness and acceptance.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, trans porn used to be kind of in this little corner And there was Steven at shows and I've always had a ton of respect for the man. And I mean, I remember talking to him when he had pretty much first gotten started and just had Mm -hmm. a few sites. And now to see where it's come today, it's just mind blowing.
1: Yeah, it's come it's come such a long way. Like I definitely remember and obviously I haven't been in the industry as long as Stephen, you know, but even when mm-hmm. he and I used to do the shows like kind of in the beginning of my career, I remember I remember how people viewed us. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember our place in the industry. I remember what doors were open for us and what doors were not, you know, and I think he had to really endure kind of being in this corner of the industry that was not super right. like I think, well-respected and well respected. Not prestigious at all, yeah. No, you know what I mean? And I think Steven has always been kind of the mindset to, like, do it anyway. Yep. You know, and not be, and I think to his credit, not be super bothered by the lack of, I think, you know, um, acceptance in that way. And I think that's really helped to pave the way to make the genre, like, what it is.
0: No, he doesn't, he's not bothered by much, and quite frankly. he's not. (laughs) I I love his ad. I love his attitude. It's like it's no nonsense. It's no bullshit. He gets right to the point, and mm-hmm. he gets things done. And I can't respect that more. I I just can't. So I I'm I'm a big fan of his. Huge fan of his. What's it like to attend? And maybe one of these days he'll actually come on my podcast. What's it like to to attend <laughs> the TEAs? How does it compare to other industry events?
1: So. I've been told, and this is no disrespect to the other events, but I've been told mm-hmm. by folks that it's the the most fun of the award shows. Yeah. Um, I like to liken it to like, we're like the goth table of the industry where <laughs> everybody is invited. Everybody is considered a misfit. Like it is it is purposely a very inclusive space. Sure. And I mean, I think part of the reason why is because our event is smaller. So we're able to cultivate that type of community, but To me, it feels like an event where you're invited, like, and not just invited, but like, we're excited that you're here and that you're participating, that you're celebrating. And I think because of that, it, it feels like a very, very joyous occasion.
0: I mean, just give me an idea from start to finish how the TEAs go down, kind of put us in the room.
1: So we used to do it. We mixed it. So be, sometimes we used to do it as a pre-party. Sometimes we did it as an after party. We've played around with the scheduling because we were trying to figure mm-hmm. out when people were getting the most drunk,
0: <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when they
1: were getting the most drunk and figuring out which events they were going to come to depending on how drunk they were. So we, that's the formula that we've that's been playing classic. with. That's yeah, because you have to do math, right? Because it's like if people get too slosh on one night, you know, what is the likelihood that they're going to miss the other thing? And so the True. formula that we use now is we do a pre-party on Friday and then Saturday, mm-hmm. nothing. So people can be hung over. It's fine. And then Sunday <laughs> we do the awards and then no after party. And we, we find that doing it that way um, allows people to get excited, to see people that they like, and then basically sleep all day Saturday. And then I guess part of Sunday.
0: I love it. so that's pretty drunk so how long have you been working for Groovy and how did you get into the adult industry
1: so very random story I I got into the adult industry about 12 years ago and Mm -hmm. I I was having an existential crisis in Hawaii where I was like I'm gonna write the great American novel but also I don't want to do anything and I was taking nightlife photos in Hawaii for a bit and our accountant was somebody that I knew socially. And so we had a meeting because she knew I was looking for work. And she's like, Oh, you know, can you can you use Photoshop? And I was like, Yeah, I can do Photoshop. She's like, Okay, well it's porn. And I was like, Okay, whatever. She's like, what's well, trans porn. <laughs> I was like, Okay, whatever. And so I interviewed with Steven and he hired me. And so originally I got hired to be a photo retoucher. Huh. And I was I was terrible at it, and I think that I only got hired because I knew the accountant and I knew someone else that um that worked for us. And it took Mm -hmm. me on my first day of work eight hours to Photoshop out toilet paper from a butthole. I was like I was so terrible. Like I don't even know if we used those those sets, but they were awful. And then and the next day. I remember Stephen was training me on something and he realized that I could write, that that was actually where my forte was. And so he's like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to have you do photos. I'm going to mm-hmm. have you write. And so I started to do blogging for Groovy and I used to do some webmaster stuff and I kind of just worked my way up, worked my way up the chain to create mm-hmm. the position that I have now.
0: So what all does the position you have now entail? What are your job duties?
1: So no, no butthole photoshopping thing. So I've, I've gladly moved <laughs> out of that sphere. That um, indeed yeah and so you know we're, we're still we are still a small company and so we all in some ways wear multiple hats mm-hmm. um officially where my job what my job entails is kind of like in focusing on how our brand is perceived by the public and then mm-hmm. the aspect of it in terms of like community outreach and so what can we do for our performers how can we do right by them um and then a large part of my job now is being the executive producer of the teas you know mm-hmm. even though it started out as a small event Now that it's the size that it's at, it requires um, months of planning. So that's like where the bulk of my year goes to now. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it sounds like quite an undertaking. People don't realize what it takes to plan an event like that, do they?
1: Yeah, I think they don't realize how long it takes and I think how expensive it is. Everything costs money, you know what I mean? Even just the cost to rent the venue alone like for an evening is like well over $10,000, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think the misassumption people have sometimes is that like we're making money hand over fist running the event. But the truth is that like we price our sponsorships Specifically, like at a low rate compared to other award shows, because we're not trying to make money. And also, we want to encourage folks to buy into community if they want to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then a model can sponsor versus it only being, you know, limited to big corporations sponsoring events. So we want to see more diversity in who supports it, essentially.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, w- I would imagine that the inflation rate in America has really hit. Uh, yes. events like the TEAs.
1: It's been rough like we've even though things have cost more we we are trying to be mindful of the fact that it also means that people's money is not going as far. And right. so we actually very seldomly raise our prices so like this year and last year, our prices are identical. And last year, we wow. had a clause where um, if, we, if we had to cancel due to COVID, because we also were unsure of whether we would be able to go through with it, that we would, be, we would basically refund everybody and just take the loss.
0: That's, wow. That's phenomenal. So what are the most rewarding things about your job?
1: I'm sure my answer might have been different 10 years ago, but now mm-hmm. I'm old and seasoned and well, stuff. That's, because, like-
0: <laughs> that's be- because you're not getting toilet paper out of buttholes.
1: Right. I definitely worked my way up. And like, I think when I was younger, like what felt really rewarding was like being able to like go out and socialize and meet folks. And that part still is very important to me now to a certain extent, but like Steve, I've worked for Steven for so long and he knows that, um, I just want to, I want to do certain things using my privilege and using like Mm -hmm. the platform that we have. And so he has in some ways given me free reign to do so. And like, And I tell him this and he will tell you this as well, that like my focus is not on making money and maybe that makes me a bad business person, but he, I don't think he has hired me for my sole purpose of like being a great business person who wants to make money. I want to make money. Don't get me wrong, but I think Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in the community aspect of it. So like, how can we support the folks that we are making money from? I think that there's a way that like, it can be a very symbiotic relationship where like we can help them and they can help us and that there's enough to go around for all of us to be successful. So like, you know, for example, Steven or or Gruby basically is sponsoring a therapy support group that I'm going to get to run through the center. And so folks, trans sex workers will be able to join for free because Gruby is sponsoring the cost. So stuff like that. Like, I really appreciate the platform Steven has given me to pursue things that are like non-traditional.
0: Right. Right. No, I mean, there's, there's no doubt the commitment that you guys have to the trans porn community. I mean, it's it's very easy to see.
1: That means a lot to me because I think our industry is small in comparison to like mainstream. And also, I don't think we are a company that doesn't get flack. I mean, we get flack all the time for things. And I think sometimes mm. it feels discouraging that, like, yeah. you know, we can have good intentions and it falls flat or, you know, things get misunderstood. And so, um, it, it makes me happy to hear that the way that we are perceived is a positive thing.
0: Oh, I think so. I think so. Well, the old saying, you can't please all the people all the time.
1: <laughs> very, and very this, true.
0: And in this day and age, sometimes you're going to alienate somebody with anything you say. Right. So that's the unfortunate part of today's world with social media and PC and this and that. It's just, it's impossible not to offend somebody.
1: Yeah, it is a it is a very tricky thing. And I think like for Steven and I, we have a lot of internal conversations about that because mm-hmm. his sure. meter for stuff and my meter for stuff, right, are different. And so we get into it a lot. And like, it's helpful because I think it helps us to see like how many different points of view around something can be.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important to discuss things because if it's just one person making the decisions, like in my company, uh, <laughs> sometimes those decisions are not going to be uh, all that positive. I think I do okay with that, but right. it's good. It's good to have more than one person to have as a sounding board.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's helped us to like mitigate what could be mistakes, and also to like I think under like really I think to understand kind of that like there can be multiple answers to the same problem, like multiple solutions. Of course. Of course. So,
0: what is one of the most challenging aspects of your job?
1: I think that there are no there're not enough hours in the day and because we all wear multiple hats our our time gets divided up in weird ways sometimes. I think it's gotten mm-hmm. better. I think we've streamlined, but I think what's challenging is like I mean the reality is we're still a small company and we only have enough like certain number of hours in the day and we only have a certain yep. number of staff and so to me there are sometimes like really great ideas that we have that we just can't execute because we don't have the time to do so.
0: Right. And so
1: to like, to, I think, release attachment to those, you know, those kinds of um, dreams um, I, I think it's the most challenging thing for me. Cause there's so many things I want to do.
0: Of course. So what are some new projects in the works for Groovy?
1: Let's see. So. We are we, we have a magazine that we've been publishing, um, Groovy Girls Magazine, which is free and for mm-hmm. community. We stopped that at a certain point during the pandemic, and also, like I said, short of short staff. And so we're gonna bring that back. The other thing that we've been working on, which will be announced soonish, will be um, a, a Hall of Fame that we're working on, which is
0: cool. separate
1: but related to the t show. But we would like to honor folks um, in our communities for the work that they've been doing.
0: Very cool.
1: Yeah, that I'm excited.
0: Like, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like something that would be very very well uh re- received.
1: Yeah, we have these other projects that I can't quite name yet, but they do have oh, this on. kind of like <laughs> It's not going to come out till next year, I think that's why. So, but we have these things where the initiative is kind of focused on how we can honor and celebrate like the performers that work with us, and so yeah. um, we we've definitely have been putting intentional time and energy to see how we can help elevate those folks,
0: okay, so what's something unique you learned as a result of being in the adult industry
1: before working in the adult industry, I had this preconceived notion of how I thought I had to do business to be successful in any mm-hmm. field mm-hmm. you know and some of that, it just is not super congruent to who I am as a person. Um, right. I'm very like, I'm very passive. I want to do the right thing. Like I'm very chill. I'm not, I'm not super shrewd as a business person, but I think I had this very young preconceived notion that in order to be successful, I needed to, to operate in the industry this way. And hmm. especially because. I I don't look like the other folks in the business sector of the adult industry. I'm Asian. <laughs> yeah. I'm very very short. I look how I look, and so I know that I don't come to the table in the same way as other folks. Um, but what I have learned is that like I, I haven't deviated from that. I haven't I haven't acted in any way that has been untrue to who I am. Like I am nice. I believe in the sharing of resources. I be, believe in community, and yeah. I've been very fortunate that I've been rewarded for those things. Yeah. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that that would have necessarily have happened for me in any other industry, but for whatever reason, it has all come together in a way that it is, it's, it's validated my identity to say that I don't have to be anybody else other right. than myself to succeed, which is, I think, yeah. a wonderful, and I think, I don't mm. know, a very lucky lesson.
0: Well, I think it says a lot for the adult industry because you can be who you are. Let's face it, we're all outcasts. Okay. Yes. The industry, the people outside, a lot of people outside the industry think of us as outlaws, not just outcasts. And yeah. if you if you look at all the negatives being thrown at the industry now, not to mention the negatives being thrown at the transgender community, we won't yes. even go there. We're people who are very accepting of everything. You have to be. If you're in the adult industry, nothing should phase you. Nothing right. should make you go oh god that's terrible because right. something everything we do turns somebody on and
1: that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing mhm i think like what's also been interesting when we talk about like social capital that like for me and my identity how i how I have to walk through the like the real world, like the non-industry world, like uh-huh. you know, I've been bullied, I've been ostracized, all of these things. But like sure. in the adult industry, right? Because like you said, mm. like we're all kind of, we're all misfits to yeah. certain things. We're all we're all sort of like outcasts. That so, like it's honored differently, right? Difference of identity is honored differently than yeah. I think it is in the real world.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. So I hear you're also currently in grad school. We were talking about that before we went on yes. for psychology. Now, what would you like to do with your soon-to-be degree?
1: So I would like to create a certification program for therapists who want to work with sex workers. A complaint that I hear and, and and a big reason actually why I decided to go into therapy as sort of a secondary career is because so many people, not just like in our specific part of the industry, but in the industry overall, talk about Wanting to seek mental health services, but not receiving competent care, you know, and and this is obviously a community that deserves to have competent care and deserves to access it. And so it absolutely needs it, absolutely needs it. And so how can I use my privilege and my experience to bridge that gap? You know, and so I want to create a certification program. I've been doing these educational workshops for sex workers to teach them how to find a competent, affirming therapist. And um, I'm starting a, I think I mentioned earlier, like a trans sex worker support group, which will branch out. And there are other support groups that I want to offer, but like, how can I create like safe mental health spaces specifically Mm -hmm. for sex worker community? And so um, those are the things that I, that I would like to be working on or are working on in the next, I guess, few months.
0: That's awesome. Are you doing anything with pineapple support?
1: I don't. Um, they do some wonderful work. Um, the focus that I have, because I work at the LGBTQ center, is to mm-hmm. funnel source funnel resources that way when it makes sense for folks who are in California. And like mm-hmm. the purpose of me doing the workshop is that for folks who end up not using pineapple support either because they transition out of the industry or do use pineapple support but want extra tools to figure out who's going to be a good fit. Like the idea is mm-hmm. that the tools I give them can be used for anybody, whether they go through an organization or not.
0: Sure. What do you like to do? This is going to kind of sound like a a little bit of a pun, but what do you like to do in your quote unquote free time?
1: Oh yeah. There's no free time, but (laughs) every every once in a while I'll play music or I make, um, I make content like mental health content on TikTok, And that's been Mm -hmm. actually a, a, a nice like space for my brain to take a break. And mm-hmm. so I'll play I'll play a little cheesy, you know, Whitney Houston cover songs on TikTok, or I'll talk about sort of <laughs> mental health, you know, topics. And, but yeah, that's, that's few, I will say it's been few and far between. I should probably, I should probably do it more often now that you mentioned it. Yeah. What's okay, your, int-
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your instrument of choice?
1: Um, guitar, if only because mm. piano um, is not super convenient and I'll play, yeah. I usually shoot it in my car as little, like short, you know, one minute clips, but yeah, I think it's Can't
0: get a piano in there.
1: No, I, I mean, I want to get those little tiny, like 80s Casios. <laughs> and so maybe yeah, that's yeah.
0: next. Very cool. <laughs> so you also own, and this is the reason you have no spare time because you do so many <laughs> things. Uh, you also own your own marketing and PR firm. And I hope I get this right. e Guy Marketing. Yes. Did I do okay with that? Perfect. But, so when did you start that? I would to ask you for phonetics. When did you start that and what does it do?
1: So ikigai in Japanese essentially means reason for being. And it, it's become a concept that's been fairly popular in the last few years. And it looks like a Venn diagram where it's like what we're good at, what the world needs, et cetera. And then like the middle overlapping piece is supposed to be our reason for being. And in mm-hmm. 2000, I think 16, in 2016, when I was at Avian, I remember this distinctly, Aubrey Kate and Foxy came up to me and they were like, you should do PR. And I was like, well, I I, I do marketing for Groovy, you know, like I already Mm -hmm. have, I already do something. And they're like, no, you should do, you should do PR to represent us because there's nobody who understands our community in the same way. And Mm. I was like, "Oh." maybe, I don't know. I have to think about it. And, you know, I kind of brushed it off. I thought they were being very kind, but I was like, well, I'm not qualified to do this, you know? And I, I thought about it and I talked to Steven to make sure it was okay. And then I I started off really small, you know, I took on only a few clients at a time. And the idea behind Ikigai is that like, I don't believe that there's one, and and Gruby has been very helpful in in me creating a blueprint for this, but like, there's no, there's no one, blueprint for success. And also because I was working exclusively at the time with adult performers that like, I don't want to give them marketing advice that felt incongruent to who they are. I didn't want mm. to give them that. I didn't want to be like, Hey, it'd be really great if you did an anal and did this. And it was like, you know, on their no list. And mm. so, you know, I, I made them fill out this very lengthy kind of life coaching questionnaire. And part of it is like my therapy bra- background is like, how sure. can we help performers identify what is their ikigai? Because I believe that if we can identify that, then the likelihood that success will be the most sustainable for them will be higher. Because, like, when someone Mm -hmm. tells you to do something and you don't want to do it, the likelihood that you'll do it and follow through over a long period of time is very low, in my opinion. Very true. Right. And so, how can we help? How can I help performers identify what actually makes them the happiest, or what feels the most congruent to them? You know, and Mm -hmm. as a brand. And how can I center my marketing around that? So um, it started with the two of them and has since branched out. And I work with um, not just adult performers, but I've worked with sex educators. Um, Mm. I worked with Penthouse briefly. I work Mm. with therapists. Yeah, I I worked with restaurants. And so um, it's really run the gamut at this point.
0: So you actually found a way to merge counseling and PR.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think I, I have to thank Groovy for this part as well as that like, I mean, Groovy has been in business for 25 years. 25 yep. years? Yeah, I think it's 25 years. Uh-huh. And no. how do you convince somebody, right, to pay for their porn at this, like in this day and age? It is time. near, right. It's, it's, it's a very big hurdle for us. And I think what we identified as a company is that like, it really isn't the emotional connection that our company makes with, whether it's the content or the company itself makes with buyers that tells them to choose mm-hmm. our company over pirating our stuff or choosing another mm-hmm. company. And I think that that piece is the part that I use for Ikigai because I think mm-hmm. it, it, it translates over very well, even though it seems, I think, random on the outside.
0: Yeah, the tubes are certainly a challenge because uh-huh. a lot of content goes on there without the company's authorization and other providers are on there. And I know, I know Stephen's very, very good at, at removing content. We've had this yes. conversation before. So, I mean, how do you fight that battle?
1: I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a losing battle because I think totally. stuff goes up right like quicker than we can take it down. It's it doesn't true. mean I mean it doesn't mean that we don't do our due diligence and still do it though. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. even though we know it's in some ways a losing battle, like we work really hard to get stuff removed. You know, we work right. really hard, I think, to put up content that we consent to putting up. We put up clips so that we were still getting
0: the right. traffic
1: and we're still getting the brand awareness, but we're controlling like what is put in, what is being put out. And I mean, the other mm. thing which, I mean, I don't know if Steve, well, I think Steven would say this is that like we go after people who steal our content, and then you know we, we we tell them if you don't do this or don't do that, if you don't take it down, you know we're going to proceed legally, which I think you know titillates Steven to a certain extent because it's like putting power back in our hands.
0: What amazes me is that some people put entire movies, entire clips onto tube sites.
1: Mm-hmm. It just
0: i mean, how is that going to help you sell anything
1: It's like. It is so short sighted on their part. And I think there's also this kind of this other culture that's happening. That's like the pi- like pirate culture, mm-hmm. you know, where there's like no loyalty to anybody. It's really just to steal content and then to just put it up. And so oh, that's and- like what we're competing against, essentially.
0: Well, yeah. And that's not that's not just in porn. That's in mainstream movies. Yes. That's in music. That's in everything.
1: Yeah, and it's, 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 and it's, it's something uh, I
0: hate. I still buy CDs. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't even, I don't like the quality of, of the online, uh, downloads, the, the MP3. So I just, I still buy yeah. CDs because I, I believe in supporting the artists, many of whom are my friends. We've got a lot of friends who are jazz artists and I'm not going to rip mm-hmm. them off. It's just not going to happen. Now, some of them have sent me their albums in, in uh, in, uh, in rather audio, um, file form. And that's great, you know, but well, my, my preference is to buy it is to make sure they get credit. Who are some of your clients uh, with Ikigai?
1: So on the adult industry end, I have Foxy, I have Jamie Kelly, I have Madam Morgan, who else? I have Domino Presley. Um, I also mm-hmm. signed Lindsay Banks, who is a, a mm-hmm. cam performer who just actually celebrated her 10-year adult industry anniversary this month, which wow. I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I have right now in the adult sphere. And then the other folks I work with are um, all in like therapy practices.
0: And they need marketing I'm too. For,
1: I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anybody. Maybe we put it's an addendum okay. if I forget. It's okay. So I don't get in trouble.
0: <laughs> so what is the Sad But Rad Club? Nice name. I see it's a <laughs> project you. you've been working on as well.
1: Yeah, I don't, like I said, I I, I don't sleep. I probably should. But I, I started Sad But Rad Club during the pandemic, which probably makes the most sense. And it was like- yes. Like, at least here in the States, there was a part of the pandemic where it really felt like we were in lockdown and maybe actually they even called it that. We weren't; They really like encouraged you not to leave the house. Yes. And it wasn't great, you know, and honestly, like I'm too old to use TikTok. So I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know how to fucking dance. And so I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't figure out the, the, <laughs> the you know, the buttons on there. And I actually, my account was going to be a Groovy account. So it was called, you know, it was like crystal. It was like my name. Uh It was like crystal pen. And I I started to make kind of weird, (laughs) weird, like pandemic isolation content that I thought Mm. was creative, but like was really pandemic brain.
0: And Uh I noticed
1: that like the stuff that I did that was mental health related got really good traffic, Uh like way, way more than like other stuff. And so Uh um, after a while I thought, you know what, I'm going to pivot what this account is and do something else. And I thought, sad but rad club you know it encapsulates Mm -hmm. kind of what i believe that like we can hold all of these identities and it doesn't make us any less of who we are and and i've used this platform to help destigmatize what it means uh, to be mentally ill in the stigma around it and i think i've also used this platform as a funnel i mean basically to talk about destigmatizing sex work which Mm -hmm. you know that's not the focus of the platform that's not the focus of the account but like i use my messaging. And I use even just me as being like a pseudo public figure to talk about sort of normalizing what consensual sex work is.
0: So where do you find your inspiration for videos for the Sad But Rad Club?
1: It's really from, I mean, we were in pandemic lockdown for quite some time. So some of it came from that. It came from like really just being stuck in the house and having it all of that stress of not knowing what was going on. And like uh-huh. my content has since shifted. So like it parallels what's going on in my in my real life. And so I talk about being in grad school and I talk about, you know, um, being a therapist trainee. But early on when I was in the pandemic, a lot of it was actually grief focused. So by the oh. time I made Sad But Rad Club um, as a TikTok account, like our my coworker and my friend had passed away from cancer. Like oh, geez. yeah, it was I don't even remember. It was a few months before. And so a lot of the content in the beginning was really just working through my grief and having, you know, I think having a a platform to do it and not really expecting or hoping other people to consume it. It was really just, I think, for my own process. And and since then, it's it's shifted, like I said. But I think in the beginning, I had less foresight into like specifically what my content was going to be because- Mm -hmm. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't set out to create it. And also like we were in a pandemic and it felt like the world was on fire.
0: Yeah. Felt like the world was ending.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was scary. Like I, I just listened to this podcast um, called Serial and they had a three part episode that talked, it it talked about this woman who lost her dad and her brother during COVID, like the height of Mm -hmm. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it talked about like, she was going through their text messages and seeing all of the the, the paranoia about COVID. And I think at the time, you know, like the information that they're passing along, like, Oh, the vaccinated people are actually the dangerous ones. Cause they're shedding the virus. I think about, you know, what, what the pandemic looked like then. And it's, it's, I know it's not that long ago, but it feels, it's kind mm-hmm. of wild to think about our conceptualization of like the pandemic now versus then and how much, well. it, right. Like I think how scary it was for folks and sure. still is
0: well it's still it's still not completely over a lot no. of people want people want to, a lot of people want to say when there was a pandemic there's sti- still people getting covid and there's still some yes. people dying now yes. i'm not sure the exact meaning of the word the exact definition of the word pandemic we may it may not fit that anymore but mm-hmm. still people are getting covid and still people are dying friend of mine i was down at the catalina jazz festival at the end of our trip and I had lunch on Monday, uh, a week ago Monday, with the friend, and she got COVID.
1: Oh, fortunately, wow.
0: fortunately, I didn't. Right. She poured. She poured her. She poured her. She thought she'd be funny, and she poured her martini into my drink, into my, mm-hmm. into my bloody mary. Fortunately, it was alcohol, so you know, right. I, did, I, I didn't get anything. But you uh, were spared. Yeah, no kidding. If it was anything but a martini, I'm sure I would have gotten COVID. Right. So if you weren't working in the adult industry where would you be and what would you be doing?
1: I think angsty 20-something-year-old me, which was me before I started working for Gruby, would say that I mm-hmm. would be a writer. And I think that's probably right. true. I think I would be writing or creating something in some capacity. And maybe mm-hmm. I would be very poor because who knows if I would be good at it or not. So there would be that. And like, I do think that mental health in some capacity would have also come up at some point. Like, I think I would have, sure. I think me being a therapist was just a very natural fit. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think, I think I would have in some ways taken the same path, even if I wasn't in the adult industry.
0: Yeah. I've, I've got all the respect in the world for the mental health industry it's uh, it's something that i utilized as a very small child when my mom and dad were breaking up and mm-hmm. i was like i don't know 6 years old 8 years old so look it's something i've always believed in it's something that i've always said is very important shouldn't have a stigma and i'm a very mm-hmm. proud bipolar as well so there you go um so <laughs> I, love I've utilized, that. I love that you
1: like name it like that yeah
0: oh hey 30% of the population we're not even, we're not the majority. I think it's, I think it's something to be proud of. So I if anybody that. wants to know it, that's fine. They can know it. So it doesn't bother me.
1: <laughs> well, I Crystal, that.
0: I'd, like to, I'd really like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Side Broker Talk. And I hope we'll get a chance to do this again real soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And like I said, for making space for this conversation, it, it really means a lot to me.
0: It means a lot to me as well. Thank you. My broker tip today is part four of how to buy a website. Last week, we discussed making an offer and deciding the best price for the site you're buying. Once you've made your offer, the work begins. If you're working with a broker, I don't know, let's say adult site broker, for instance, we handle the negotiation for you. Let's say the seller doesn't accept your offer. They may make a counter offer. If you decide that you're willing to pay more, you can either accept their counteroffer or counter back to them. A good rule of thumb is to always leave room to negotiate, so don't make an offer that's the absolute most you're willing to pay. If you do that, then you have nowhere to go if the owner counters your offer. Once the owner and you have come to a deal, then it's time to do some due diligence beyond what it is you've already done. During the initial process of looking at the site, you should have asked some questions, like in the case of a pay site, how many joins and rebuilds there are per day, and any other pertinent questions you may have. During due diligence, you need to make sure everything is where you need it to be technically to integrate it with what you're already doing. You may even get your developer involved if you're not tech savvy. You and or your developer should ask those pertinent questions. Once those are answered to your satisfaction, you should either have the seller or yourself draw up a sales agreement. I always tell my clients to do the agreement themselves. Why? Because that way you can dictate the terms. So whether you're the buyer or the seller, you can make the rules. However, just be ready to have the seller's attorney change some of those rules. Nothing's final until everything is signed off on. Another thing we do for our clients is a letter of intent prior to the sales agreement being done. This gives your attorney a roadmap for the agreement. The letter of intent, and more so the agreement, will have all the terms involved, including who pays for everything. Who pays for escrow, for instance? This can be paid by the buyer, the seller, or split between both parties. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And, next week we'll be speaking with adult performer... Lily Craven. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Crystal Penn of Grooby. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.